Well, good evening, church family, and welcome. My name is JT, and I serve as one of your pastors within our Capital Press family. I'm the rest and sight pastor for our, our new work uh, of multiplication in the life of our church. Hoping to, to kick that off, light that candle sometime in September. And so excited about that, excited to be here with you at one of our other sites, um, the Capital, our only other site, you know. So, um, the first, the greatest, you know, only one, Capital Press Fairfax. Um, so, just thankful to be here with you guys. Uh, here during Holy Week on Monday, Thursday. Um, it really is a gift just to spend this evening uh, together. Uh, my, I had a good argument with my boys, specifically my six-year-old Judah, uh, as I was leaving. Um, he said, you know, I said, hey guys, I got to go to church. And they, he said, dad, it's Thursday. You don't go to church on Thursday. And I said, it's Monday, Thursday. He goes, dad, you're making stuff up. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, we'll have that conversation when I get home. Um, but uh, I am excited for, uh, for today, obviously, for tonight. Uh, also, we have Good Friday uh, service. It'll be a combined Capital Prez uh, service up at the McLean site. And then, obviously, we'll be back at Woodson, as Rob said, uh, for Easter, where Rob and I will switch spots. And he'll be, uh, he'll be obviously, uh, leading and preaching for our Resurrection Sunday service. But let's dig into our passage this evening, which is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Uh, we're beginning in verse 34, and we'll read to 14, uh, verse 1. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. So it's customary for pastors as we get up here and as we preach um, to go you know, verse by verse, line by line, in kind of sequential order. Uh, I'm going to attempt something a little bit differently, a little bit different this evening. It's a little unorthodox. It's not heretical. Don't worry. Don't report me to Presbytery. Uh, but it is a little bit different from what we would typically do. Um, we're actually going to begin with the last verse. We're going to begin with the last verse and actually work, uh, I guess, forward from there. And you'll see a little bit why we're going to do that. Um, but it's, it's really because, um, you know, in the seven verses that is our passage, that last verse in chapter 14, verse 1, really is providing, it really is the thesis verse for this section. It's the thesis verse for this section, and it really it's providing us a cure to a problem that I would say affects every single person, not only in this room, so every single one of us, but it's a problem that affects our neighbors. It's a problem that affects our family members, our coworkers, our friends, it affects all of humanity. And that, this verse, this passage is inviting us to, to for, it's giving us a cure to this age-old problem that all of humanity experiences. Uh, that last verse of this passage states this. It says, if you remember, as we just read it, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. Let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. One last time. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special time 
in the church calendar where we remember the week in history where God incarnate, Jesus Christ, completed his work of salvation on the cross and where, where he was gloriously resurrected three days later. God, we ask that you would illuminate your word for us, that you would feed us your people, that your spirit would apply your word to our lives, and that this holy week, Father, that you would help us to believe again or to even believe for the first time your good news. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk this evening about the realities of a troubled heart. The realities of a troubled heart. I probably don't need to belabor the definition here because my assumption is this evening uh, that we all know what it means to live or to have a troubled heart. When someone is troubled, it means that their heart, their mind, their soul is not as we would say it's supposed to be. It's not secure. It's not confident. It's not in a place of peace. It's troubled. A troubled heart is, is, is uneasy. It's maybe insecure. It's, it's waffling. It's struggling. It's weighed down by the realities of this life. Whatever those realities may be, it's, it's weighed down. It's struggling. Whatever that may be. Perhaps in your life, you've had a moment uh, where everything, generally speaking, was going well for you, right? Everything was going well for you. Maybe your, you were, your mental state was strong physically, you were, you were doing well, your family was happy, right? Your career was, was doing well. Everything was going just great. And then you received that fateful call. That fateful phone call, maybe it was a doctor communicating a diagnosis. Maybe it was... Um, Maybe it was a family member telling you that something, uh, something tragic had occurred. Maybe it was just news that you heard through other friends. Whatever it was, you entered that phone call feeling fine. And you left it troubled, uneasy, and grasping for light in the midst of darkness. And if you're like me, you're left, you're left with that feeling or that reality of how, how is it that life can shift so quickly? How is it that I can go from a place of security to such a troubled existence? I have no doubt that if we spent the rest of our time this evening just sharing, right? How, sharing with maybe what's troubling your heart even tonight, that we could fill the entire evening with what maybe is troubling or weighing down your soul, your mind, your heart this evening. You know, this, this reality of a troubled heart, a troubled existence is, is clear all throughout the pages of Scripture, isn't it? You just have to read the book of Psalms and you see it throughout. The psalmist cries as, he, as, as they cry out to God for help. One example of that is Psalm 25, 17 says this, these words, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses, O God. We see also this reality of living in a, with a troubled existence, a troubled heart uh, throughout the pages of church history. Right? As, as, as Presbyterians, we talk often a lot about the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther, who really kicked off the Reformation, uh, if you dig into his diaries and just his writing, he was a troubled soul. He regularly struggled with anxiety, with depression, with living in this state of just, of just having a troubled heart. To quote something he wrote in one of his diaries, he said this, he said, and this is after the Reformation, a number of years after the Reformation, actually over a decade after the Reformation, he wrote in his diary, 
For more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ felt wholly lost to me. I was shaken by desperation, and it felt that all that was in my soul was blasphemy toward God. He had a troubled heart, troubled soul. In our story this evening, the disciples find themselves in this spot. They find themselves in this place. Jesus, the leader who has traveled with them for three long years, he's taught them uh, everything they know. Uh, he's, he's delivered them some troubling news. He tells them these things right after, if you remember just a few verses before, right after he has, he has washed their feet. And if you know anything about this, this time period, uh, a leader doesn't wash his, his disciples' feet. He doesn't wash his, his kind of underlings' feet. That was something that a slave did. Not, not a leader, not a king, not a savior. They, they didn't do that. But Jesus right, takes off his outer garments, puts a, we say, we, a robe around himself, grabs some water in a basin, and begins washing his disciples' feet. And he shows the disciples what true leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. But then he tells them these three things. He says first that he's leaving. Jesus tells them that it's time for him to leave them. He tells them directly in verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. He says he's leaving. Secondly, he says that betrayal is about to take place. That betrayal is about to take place. Jesus has told his disciples that one of them will betray him. And if you can imagine this, right, um, in a small group like this where they've done ministry together, they've been with each other through thick and thin, through all the difficulties and trials of life and ministry, uh, this causes a stir. What do you mean one of us is going to betray you? We're, we're with you to the end. So this causes a stir, and the disciples begin trying to determine who it will be, but Jesus already knows and communicates this knowledge directly to the one, Judas, right before Judas immediately leaves. Remember, if you read the verses before, he takes a morsel of bread and gives it to Judas. So there's going to be betrayal. But thirdly, we see that denial is communicated. Jesus communicates that there's going to be a denial. Jesus tells Peter, uh, the apostle, soon to be the apostle Peter, that he is going to deny him and you've got to love Peter, don't you? In, in verse, uh, verses 36 through 38, Peter stands up and does what we all like to do. Uh, it, we, we all like to do when our hearts are troubled. Uh, Peter takes the I'm going to fix this myself pathway, right? Um, Peter declares boldly and defiantly, not me, Jesus, right? Peter says uh, to Jesus to quote him, he says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And do you see what Peter does? His solution to a troubled heart is himself, isn't it? His solution to his troubled spirit as he's receiving this bad news is, I'm going to take care of it, right? What do you mean I can't follow you, right? I'm a super disciple, right? I'm, Peter's the one that always stands up in the midst of difficulty. Peter says, I'm going to handle it. I can do this. I will lay down my life for you. His solution to the, his troubled heart is himself, he goes on, he says, why can't I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Peter is saying, I'm going to fix this, right? I'm the pathway forward. And what is, what is Jesus' response to us, or response to him rather, right? You're going to deny me three times, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. Let me say this before we harp on Peter too much. Peter, or as I like to call it, the Peter paradox, represents exactly what humanity or human beings have been doing forever to try and alleviate 
their troubled hearts. Peter is looking to himself to make it all better, to fix the problem. Uh, we often look to ourselves, don't we, whenever life, uh, whatever it may be, is difficult. Maybe we think that we can fix our troubled hearts with another promotion. Maybe we think we can fix our troubled hearts by, um, by getting more possessions or, or with our intellect or our knowledge or maybe even relationships, recreational activities, whatever it may do that we, we put in our lives. We say, I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling troubled. I'm just going to get all these other things and I'm going to make it better. I'm going to fix it. But again, Jesus' response to Peter's bold statement of self-reliance is this. Jesus says, just to quote him directly, he says, will you lay down your life for me? And he goes on, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Again, in the midst of Peter's, Peter's bold, bold claim, Jesus declares reality. Oh, Peter, you think that you can fix this problem, brother? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. The disciples are in a place of troubled, with, with troubled hearts as they've heard that their Savior is going to leave, or their king, or their leader, their Savior is going to leave them. They know that one of them is going to betray Jesus, and Mr. Super, super Disciple Peter is going to deny Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Our world, our culture is plagued by this Peter paradox. We believe the lie that we, that you and I can fix it, and Jesus directly and gently says, stop it. Stop it can't fix this. You need something outside of yourself to fix this. Jesus' solution to their troubled hearts is, is said simply, right? He tells his disciples that they need to, quote, believe in God for their hearts to not be troubled. His instruction is clear. Let, let, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. What, is, what does Jesus mean by this? It means to trust in God in the midst of your troubled situation. To trust in God in the midst of your troubled situation. What do I mean by that? It means that you trust that God loves you. That God cares for you. That he has a bigger plan that he is working out. And that is what Jesus is trying to get to with his disciples. And we're going to get to some application here in a second. But Jesus' point is, in the midst of your difficulty, don't rely on yourself to fix the problem. No, believe in God. Trust in God. Trust in God's love for you. Trust in his love. And in and, and, and just the next little section of that, he says, believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus referring to himself, which we know as we're going to celebrate in just a little bit, that Jesus doesn't just point us to, to God the Father, but he points us to him, his, his, very, his very own self. Right? We know that it's through Christ that we, that our troubled hearts, can find peace. And not just a peace that comes for a day or a week, but a peace, as Scripture tells us, passes all understanding. But for, furthermore, Jesus' solution of, of us going to him, being far better than Peter's self-reliance, uh, he, he adds another thing in there just before that. It's what we're calling a new commandment, right? A new commandment. Now, we have to be clear, uh, and John Calvin actually is really helpful on this, uh, John Calvin describes that this is not a new commandment in the way that we understand new, right? We know that um, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, they were instructed to love each other, to take care of one another. But it's new in the sense that, that it, is a, it is a reclaiming of an old idea for this people, for this New Testament community. It's in similar, and this isn't the best analogy, but it's the one I got. Uh, it's similar to uh, when my wife and I, when we bought our home, right, our, 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 our new home, 
Um, we would say, you know, hey, we got a new home. Now, was it a brand new home? Absolutely not. But it was new to us, right? It was a reclaiming for us of what was now ours. It was a new home to us. This is a new commandment, he says in verse 34. And he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love if you have love for one another. In the midst of the discouragement that the disciples are experiencing, Jesus directs them to love one another. And let me ask you this question this evening. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he, in the midst of their pain, their difficulty, their trial, why does he, why does he set before them love one another? I believe it's because Jesus is showing the disciples that the fruit that pain produces, namely that true pain and difficulty can produce with God's help, and hear me when I say this, that when you experience true pain and true difficulty with God's help, as you believe and you trust in him, true pain and difficulty can produce a most pure sense of love for others. A most pure sense of love for others that is, that is not only abiding in your heart, but is also attractive to the world around you. What Jesus is attempting to get to is this reality that as you and I believe in God in the midst of our troubles, as we go not to self-reliance, as we go not to the world around us, but to belief in God, as we trust in God's love, God does this miraculous thing where he pours out his love into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we can love one another. And Jesus says to him that this, this reality of us loving one another is the it's the strongest, if I can use this word, apologetic in the world. It's the strongest apologetic. It's the strongest uh, way to show people who Jesus is and the reality of the gospel. If I can share you one little story from just this past Monday. Uh, our church has, has um, uh, a number of people in our church, a number of community groups have taken up the role and the task of helping out a number of Af Afghan refugees in our church community. And this past Monday night, um, with, in conjunction with a number of other local churches that are also taking up this work together, uh, there was a dinner uh, to really celebrate these, these refugees that God has allowed us to, to love on and to serve. And um, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of our ruling elders that's, really, that's involved in this effort got up and he talked about um, why, why we were doing this, right? It's this wonderful dinner together, right? Good food, good celebration, just celebrating with both the number of people from other churches, um, trying to just, just love on these, these, these Afghan refugees that have lost everything as they've, they've come over to this country, right? And we're just trying to help them out in whatever way we can. And, and you know, one of our rolling elders got up and he talked about why it is we, we're even doing this. And what he said was, we're doing this because we love you. We're doing this because we love you. And that's the reason. There's no other reason, right? There's no bait and switch. There's no other thing we're trying to do. We're doing this because we love you. And then he ended with this. And if you want to know, if you want to know where that love in us is even coming from, we'd love to have you come to church with us on Sunday to hear about how that love even got there, how that love has even showed up in our lives. You and I know that that love comes through Jesus comes through believing in God, trusting in Jesus.
I want to give us just three little application points um, that I think I've, I think we've, we've all experienced this, and so I'm just going to kind of name it real quick. Three potential pathways for us in the midst of troubled, uh, living with troubled hearts. Three pathways that I think people uh, can, can walk down, so to speak. Three pathways. Two of them uh, are going to be dead ends, are not going to lead to a life uh, of thriving. It's not going to lead, but one of them it is. The first one is, uh, rather than believing in God, we begin to believe in the world around us. We, we begin to believe that the way we're going to fix our troubled hearts is by looking to the world around us, and that could be a number of different things, right? In the, in the midst of your difficulty, your trouble, whatever it may be, maybe you look to relationships, right? If I just form some relationships or change some things or whatever it may be, that's going to fix it. Maybe you look to politics and you say, well, if we can just get this right guy or that right person or whoever it may be um, or that gal in, in this con congressional role or whatever it may be, that'll just fix it, right? And wherever you fall on the political spectrum, maybe that's your mindset. Or maybe your thought is, oh, if, if this person just, if I get this person out of this role or whatever it may be in my job or if I can just get this promotion, then I'm going to fix it. Right? We begin to believe in the world and believe that if we just, if we just do that or fix this thing, that, that our troubled hearts will go away. And friends, I'm here to tell you this evening that, that due to the realities of the brokenness of the world we live in, what that will lead to, if that is your structure for belief, what that's going to lead to is either one of two things or both of them, all of the above, is it's going to lead to either a cynical outlook a depressed outlook, a glass-half-empty sort of outlook because you're going to find that the world is, we all know this, the world is a complex place. And you're going to find that all the things you put in, in your trust in this life are going to fall short in some way, shape, or form. It's going to lead to depression. It's going to lead to a cynical outlook. You're going to, you're going to I, was, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I was recently spending time with a, a woman in a nursing home and trying to kind of minister to her and share the gospel with her. And, um, and, and she was just angry. She's just angry. Angry at the world, angry at God, just angry at everything. And I asked her, and we, we tried to go through a bunch of different things. And at one point, I was, I was just kind of, just, just being real, I was just kind of annoyed. I was just kind of frustrated. And I said to her, I said, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And she looked at me and she said this. She said, she called me son, which I thought was kind of cool. She said, son, when you've lived as long as I have in this world, you can't not be angry. The second pathway we can choose to believe in is like Peter. We can believe in ourselves. We've talked about this a ton, so I don't need to belabor it, but this essentially becomes a survival of the fittest. It becomes, if I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, then I can fix the problem. I can fix my troubled heart. And here's the thing. If it works, it's going to lead to pride and narcissism. If it doesn't work, it's going to lead to further anxiety, depression, and brokenness. It's not the pathway. It leads to dead end. The third one, the third one that Jesus leads us to is belief in God, which results in a loving heart a heart that trusts in Christ's love for you, that his love by the Holy Spirit is poured out into your heart, and that you can love others. God loves you so that you can love your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends. Jesus' desire for us, the church, is not, that, is not just that we would experience Jesus' love, but that we would then return that love to each other. 
If I could just end with this. The cure for a troubled heart, friends, is believing, trusting, in God's love for us. And what's the test if we're doing that correctly, right? If you're like me, you want to know the, the you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of math, right? Two plus two is always going to equal four, right? So how do you do this? And I think Jesus gives us a test for that. How do we know if we're believing in God? Are you growing in love for others? If you're really resting in his love for you, then his love is going to begin pouring out into your heart. Maybe not overnight, but little by little are you growing in love for others in your life. Are you living with a heart that's filled with the love that Jesus has shown you? As we close, I I mentioned Martin Luther's struggle with a troubled heart. Um, I mentioned his quote. Um, It's interesting to note that... um, one of the other things, obviously, besides the Reformation that Luther is, is most well-known for is when he wrote the famous hymn, right, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's uh, one of the most famous songs of the Reformation. Uh, it's a great kind of victorious, triumphant song. Uh, we might even be singing it Sunday. I'm looking at Christy. Christy says no. Uh, we'll sing it sometime. It'll be great. Uh, but this song actually began as a poem that Martin Luther uh, penned. You didn't know that Martin Luther was a poet, but he was. Um, he penned during what he describes as the darkest night, the darkest season of his life. It was roughly 15 years after the Reformation, and he was in a season of just brokenness. He was in a a season of, of a troubled heart, and he penned this poem, which became A Mighty Fortress is Our God, it's slightly different because it's a poem than, the, than what the song became, but I wanted to read it for you just as we close this evening, this poem. A mighty bulwark is our God, a doughty ward and weapon. He helps us clear from every rod by which we now are smitten. Still our ancient foe girds him to strike a blow. Might and build his gear, his armor striketh fear on earth is not his equal. By our own strength is nothing won. We court at once disaster. There fights for us the champion whom God has named our master. Would you know his name? Jesus Christ the same. Lord Sabbath is he. No other God can be. The field is his to hold it. And though the fiends on every hand were threatening to devour us, we would not waver from our stand. They cannot overpower us. This world's prince may rave, however he behave. He can do no ill, for God's truth abideth still. One little word shall fell him. That word they never can dismay, however much they batter. For God himself is in the fray, and nothing else can matter. Then let them take our life, goods on our children and our wife. We will let all go, for they shall not conquer so. For God will win the battle. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have so clearly examined the realities and you know the realities of human life. And you've shown, it, shown those to us in your word. We thank you that your word is both so beautiful and at times un- uncomfortably realistic. That although we live in a world where trouble is always around the corner, God, we thank you that you give us a pathway forward that leads to life. God, we pray now that you would place these truths in our hearts. God, that you would help us to trust and believe in Jesus, to believe in the love that you have for us in Christ, and to then be loving to one another as well. God, would you help us do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.